Welcome to a Veterans Podcast, powered by Wisconsin Veterans Network, the show where we hear unique, inspiring stories and firsthand experiences from veterans all over. Veterans who've transitioned, who've overcome obstacles, and even those still struggling. We will focus on different aspects of transitioning out of the military service and share some tips and tricks along the way. We will learn no veteran is alone, no matter the path they took. We share their stories to help motivate and inspire the world, to help understand what it means to be a veteran, and most of all, we share to give them a voice amongst the noise. You can find us at aveteranspodcast.com to learn more and to see how you can be a part of the show. Welcome back to A Veterans Podcast, everybody. We're excited to have you here. We are officially starting season two which is super exciting. Um, and we're going to kind of switch it up a little bit just to um, keep things interesting, right? So we know that transitioning veterans struggle with so many different things. And so we're going to tackle those things head on and just talk about them and be real about them, talk about our struggles, have other veterans on who will talk about their struggles. Um, we're going to have some special guests we're going to do a lot of really cool things to bring awareness to what veterans are struggling with. So not only is this for veterans to listen to and feel like they are not alone, but this is also for people who love their veterans, who are interested in learning more about veterans, who want to understand kind of why we are the way we are, right? Because it, sometimes it's really difficult to put into words, so maybe combining and collaborating with a lot of different veterans will kind of give us the ability to define some of those issues even more. So I'm super, super excited. But as always, today's show is sponsored by Wisconsin Veterans Network, an established Wisconsin nonprofit ran by veterans for veterans. Their mission is to provide guidance and support for all veterans, whether Guard, Reserve, Active, or even a bad discharge, looking for any kind of assistance in the state of Wisconsin. If you're a Wisconsin veteran looking for an answer, whether a simple question about benefits or you are currently homeless, give them a call today. You can find more information about them at wisvetsnet.org or at aveteranspodcast.com. So let's get started. All right, everybody. So today on the podcast, we have Randy and she was on episode six. So if you want to hear her original story, go back and listen to episode six. Um, but I brought her on today, not only because she's my bestie, but she's got a lot of wisdom about like being a veteran and things she's experienced. And you're newly a veteran, right, Randy? Well, I am February 29th, 2020. So, I mean, so she's like just in the thick of it, like that TikTok song. Um, <laughs> Into the thick of it. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I thought it would be good to have you on so we could talk about some things. And we kind of over text message had like thrown a few ideas out there to each other or whatever. But um one that really stuck out to me is like the parenting thing that oh, we've, yeah. we've talked about before. Like, so everybody who's served, 
who has children. So like when I was in, I didn't have kids. Um, so I, I can't fully speak on it, but I can speak on like being a veteran and how I help parent my stepchildren. But, um, a lot of people who serve, you spend a lot of time away from your kids, right? Yeah. So Michaela was two when I enlisted. Um, and I went to a ship that immediately was in the yards. So I went from California, which is my home state, to Everett, Washington, is where I was told I was going. So um, I had very few contact details. They were like, yeah, you know, Everett's a really, like, family-friendly neighborhood. It's pretty much safe everywhere, which never believe anybody. It's not safe everywhere. But um, I went ahead and found my way and moved to Everett, Washington, and went to go report. And they were like, oh, so you just have to walk on this ferry, um, take your uniform in a backpack, and you should be good on the other side. You'll find it. It's like, it was like a Where's Waldo adventure. So <laughs> oh, I didn't even know what a ferry was for one, but I just walked on there. And then I was, it was like four in the morning, and I ended up in Bremerton, Washington, on the entire opposite side of the Sound, which is a water peninsula, for those that don't know. And I ended up somewhere in Bremerton. I didn't even know where my ship was. I just kept asking questions. You know, I'm not a very shy person. So I just kept asking people like, um, where's the big ship with the 72 on it? <laughs> and, um, and so I noticed that the man I was walking with at the time, like everybody's saluting him. I'm like, oh my God, I'm so important. People are saluting me. But then I <laughs> quickly realized he was the chaplain. Oh, like, <laughs> Yeah, so we became really good friends throughout our first deployment. Um, and he led me to the ship because it was like security and all this other stuff that I didn't have to even enter into the yards. But um, so my first year was commuting two hours at four in the morning and two hours in the evening whenever I could manage to get some time off because I was initially in reactor department to get home to my two-year-old and my husband. Um, so I was away a lot. And then followed by a lot of underways and a deployment. So I was deployed for a lot of my oldest daughter's life. So I feel like when I left, she was two. And when I got out, she was 14. So um, not only do I not know her, but I have a whole other child since then. So which, I've been gone a lot. Which is wild when you think about like two to 14, because so much, so much changes in like, yeah that time frame and especially for like a girl and we won't get into all those things. Cause like, I'm sure there's some dudes oh listening gosh. like, please don't. Um, Listen, but <laughs> it's so stressful. It's so stressful. But parenting from afar is hard because like, so when you're on deployment, you learn, um, you know, you learn your resources just like everything else. But um, for me, I know, you know, she was before I would leave every day or like go to a civilian job every day before I joined the Navy we would like read books because I would usually work nights or early morning. So we would always read a lot. So um, I sent home a lot of United through reading DVDs. We still have them. Like I would send one back every single chance I could get on the list. Oh, that's awesome. Um, I made sure to make like um, a schedule to call home. So I would call home Sundays after I would go to church, you know, cause me and the chaplain were housed. So <laughs> I would hit him up and <laughs> I would hit him up in a little prayer and then I would head over to the, the phones that barely work and call home for three and a half minutes, just in enough time for them to tell you that you were about to be hung up on or until 
um, you know, flight quarters took place or something and knocked all the phones out of service. Mm-hmm. It was like calling home from prison, but, um, <laughs> not that so you have any experience with that. <laughs> no, literally never been, for, never even been arrested, but it was fun. Um, <laughs> so, um, you know, we just set a schedule. And then when I got pregnant with my second one, um, it was a little bit different because, you know, you go to shore duty for a little bit of time and they give you some baby bonding time. But then my knucklehead decided to cut my baby bonding time and go back to sea because I was told this pre-com, pre-commissioned ship was going to be really easy. And we were just in a building, like making friends and doing new things and not really being sailors. And then I was there, I don't know, like three weeks and they said, surprise, we know that it's really great to be back home in California, but you're going to Louisiana for the next year. So then I left her as well um, at a year old. So um, I wasn't there for a long time, but it took us a long time to get home from commissioning that ship to California where our home port was because um, I don't know if we didn't get paid enough tax dollars or whatnot, but our <laughs> ship kept breaking down. So I mean, it's not funny, we but Florida. it's fine. <laughs> I, I mean, it's not funny, but you know, neither here nor there, but we did break down for about nine months. Um, so we were stuck in a lot of places other than home, which included like holidays. And the one thing that I had to remember is even though I could expect to be gone for some of the holidays, but you had to like capitalize when you were home. So mm-hmm. I've never been gone for their birthdays. I'd always been home cause they're both July birthdays. So I was always home during the 4th of July during both of their birthdays and for the most part during the summer. So for me, that panned out because I also transferred during the summer. So summers was like working a school teacher schedule. I, you know, took 30 days to transfer and then I would take some other days off for their birthdays and I would always be here, but I usually wouldn't be home for Thanksgiving or Christmas. Which for a kid, a young kid, that's like such an important time. I think personally, at least for our family, like, you know, cause Santa comes and, the excitement of the holidays and all those things. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I want to go back though, because when you said like you had baby bonding time, let's talk about that for our listeners who are not familiar with like how the military leave and stuff works. When you have a baby, you're allotted how many weeks from the day you have the baby. I worked up until a couple of hours before Emma was born. That's my youngest. <laughs> and um, I was on watch, you know, just doing my thing, um, just making sure we were secure and sound and whatnot. Um, <laughs> and then I went home and I was like, oh, my gosh, I peed my pants. But it was really my water breaking. And um, I wish I had never experienced before. So um, my water didn't break with my first one. So. Uh, I had the baby and then 48 hours after discharge, they started eight weeks of convalescent leave. Okay. Um, and then after the eight weeks, I returned back to work because I was at um, short duty, which for me, it was a reserve station training reserve sailors to go active duty. Mm-hmm. Um, I was only in charge of like very specific classes during very specific hours. So I wouldn't even work entirely too much. It was like three to five hours, maybe at the most, including an hour lunch break. So not only did I live half a mile down the street, but 
my hours were also limited once I went back. So I did that for about 10 months. Okay. And then I decided going back to my home state because I was going to be um, commissioning a building and like getting programs ready for this ship to be taken over by the Navy that I would go back home because that was going to be like a good opportunity for me to be around family where in Washington, I didn't have anybody, but the family I had created, which was friends and my daughters and my husband at the time. Okay. So, so you get like eight weeks of like real quality time of being with your baby and then you start going back to work. Modified hours. Right. And then, I mean, some people aren't afforded those modified hours, but right. you get like a designated exactly. eight weeks. Yeah, you get it. And that's like, you don't, they're, they're not leave. You don't report any of those things. You can, they might reach out to you and ask you some things about your job that somebody else is like temporarily filling, but you don't go into the office. You don't go into the workplace. You know, it doesn't get counted against you as leave. And then when you go back, um, you know, you're allotted like a certain room for nursing so you can pump while you're at work or, you know, in Everett, it's one of the smallest places in the U.S. It's, you know, a, one convenience store, a gas station, a very small barracks, and a building for training. So once you go back there, if your child goes to the CDC, the Child Development Center, it's also right across the parking lot. So you can take breaks and go bond with your child there. For me, even the, the town of Everett was very small. So once we were, I was on that side and my command was over there. I was only a half a mile down the street. So a lot of times I would go home because it was easier for me to go home mm-hmm. um, and pump or to bond with Emma than to use the room because the room had so many pregnant females that came off of the ships that were <laughs> attached to that base. It was like it a was party. like 200% over man. Yeah. It was like a big pregnancy party. Um, <laughs> it was like pregnancy packed over there. That's funny. It was um, wild. Okay, so so you have Emma, you go on a ship, you go on deployment, right? Because you deployed after you yeah. had Emma, too. I did, yeah. So all this time, your kids are with their dad, which is fine. And right. He, he was your husband at the time. Um, right. And I'm sure we'll do another episode on divorce at some point because we've both been there, yeah. so it's fine. Yeah, we um, really got to get into that. <laughs> we so, got to help people and get their skills. <laughs> so when you got out of the navy you were in the process of getting a divorce and right so so in the course of one week I got out officially filed for divorce and moved to a state that my kids had never lived in and then you had to parent them basically full-time right And I had never been the primary caregiver to either one of them, let alone a single parent, or really ever lived on my own because I had gone, you know, I was in high school until I was 19. By then, I had already met their dad. And when we moved out, we moved in together. So I had never really paid bills on my own. Um, I had always been the primary breadwinner, but I had never, like, gone through the steps of running an entire household, let alone being a single parent. So I had to do all of these things that I was brand new to and then get my kids acclimated to also having all those changes. So how do you do that? Like, how do you, how do you like essentially restart your life 
and start over, right? Because that's the easiest way to explain it. It's like you you completely started over. And not, right. not only are you, for lack of better words, coping with the fact that you're not in the military anymore and learning how to not be programmed anymore right. to now essentially parenting a teenager, which is scary in itself, and then also a, yep. a young daughter and trying to do all this while finding a job, while making sure you have a steady income, all these things. Like, how do you do that? Um, you know, and going back on my previous episode, I think saving, saving the money was the big thing before I got out. And then once I got out, because it was in the like height of COVID, literally we moved here four weeks later, everything in the entire state shut down. The U S crashed. We shut down world war, whatever COVID, COVID COVID-19 world war. So, um, taking a job and really just understanding that and I'm grateful that we have resources like Google and all of the things we learn when we go to get out but um, realizing that I had resources and that to take it one day at a time you know I got online I made sure that I applied for jobs that were only remote because I knew my kids needed a present parent Mm -hmm. um, because not only did they not have me present when they when I was in the Navy but their dad also wasn't present which I didn't find out until later that they had felt so alone in growing up without me being present because they didn't feel like they had anybody really. So I knew that I needed to work even though I had money saved just so they could see a routine because school wasn't routine anymore because school had shut down. So it was very up in the air, even with logging online and doing distant learning the schools here did not have any type of like you could log in and you would finish these assignments. And it was more like open book, first come first serve, do as you please. So that happened for quite a few weeks. So it was like creating a schedule and a routine and not breaking that. So they could see the same structure that they would have had, had a present a parent been present in the home. So waking up early, still making breakfast, still making sure everybody's sitting at the table to either read a book or learn something, finding a job where I could work from home. And I sat at the, when they were in school, I would sit at, you know, the same table and work from home on a computer. So we were all doing the same thing at the same time, going on walks in the evening so they could get outside and not be exposed to people, but also not be trapped in a house all day, making sure that we walked the dogs and fed the dogs at the same time that we ate at the same meal hours. Mm-hmm. Um, And then just creating a routine where they understood, you know, if they had concerns or they had something that they needed to to work out, that we talked about those things Mm -hmm. and kind of using the skills I learned in the military, honestly, having that routine, which I learned at the service and um, having an open door where they could tell me anything. And it didn't mean they got in trouble for telling me. And then obviously hitting road bumps and realizing that like we might have to adjust some things and that teaching them to be resilient, again, I think was a big one because I had learned to be resilient by being in the military. I didn't have that before I went in, Mm -hmm. but I realized as I got out that my kids were no longer resilient. Um, My my oldest, Michaela, had been to 16 different schools, but my youngest had only been to one other school prior to coming to Texas. So 
they were resilient sometimes, but it wasn't very consistent, just like everything else in their life had been. So I wanted to teach them consistency and routine. And I think it softens the blow for everybody to have a large change like that. I had never been a parent really, and they had never been in my care. So we just had to learn each other. Yeah. And it wasn't like you were learning as they were babies. So even if you like messed up for lack of better words, like now, now Michaela's at the age where she can call you out on that. And right. (laughs) And not, not that she's like a disrespectful kid, but, um, you guys have a very different bond than maybe some other people would deem appropriate, which, you know, whatever, there's mom shamers out there everywhere. So who cares? (laughs) Right. But, and that was the thing is that like her relationship with her dad was so different and the way she was parented by me and was much different than how I parented Emma because I was around more for Emma. So I knew how to be a disciplinary for her Mm -hmm. where with Michaela, when I came home, it was kind of like I was a Disney parent. So I was only in and out. So it's like she knew she would see me ever so often, just like she would Disneyland. And she would kind of just get whatever she wanted. So it was like I had to kind of reprogram her and I. So we understood that I was not her friend and I wasn't a Disney parent Mm -hmm. and that I was in charge. But not. I didn't want to do it abruptly where she felt like this wasn't her home because realistically it was their home before it was mine. Yeah. Because they knew they knew the routine and the structure of a household, and I didn't. Mm-hmm. Because mine was, I was just programmed to not be here, yeah. which was, I mean, honestly, that was the easy thing to do. Because coming home and not knowing what to do, and then our entire lives changing, mm-hmm. it was hard. And you know, I expected them to be a little bit more, have a little bit more pushback, but they didn't, which I'm grateful for. But I think it went to show like being sure that they realized that they were in a safe environment, that, um, that we had everything we needed, that we didn't need anybody else if they didn't want to be around, Mm -hmm. um, that they had a consistent place to call home, that I would be here if they needed me because I wasn't working outside the home. And I did that up until recently, you know, I go back into an office next month. And so even breaking the routine that we've had for me to drive them to and from school, that'll be changing. But it's like we we slowly have progressed where they're more independent and they don't really rely on me for entirely too much. But now we have an entire routine for the last 18 months where they know this is life now. Yeah. Well, and, you know, I I think about um, from a parent perspective. So I'm a stepmom to two and I'm like. I feel like I'm borderline helicopter parent um, because mm-hmm. because like you, you see a lot of bad stuff when you're in the service, right? And you want to protect right. your kids from everything. Um, right. And, and you want to protect them from like the world, right? You don't want them to see bad. You don't want them to see like sadness, anything, right? You want it to be Disney all the time. Um, right. So did you find it difficult to knowing what you know from serving in the military be present with your kids when, you know, like we have some people who are listening who maybe they can't go to an amusement park with their kids because 
right. they're constantly on, you know, overprotective mode, making sure everybody's safe, making sure like there's no weird stuff going on, whatever. So they can't come down from that. Like, did you find that to be a difficult transition for you or, um, I think, um, getting, so in the service and going to get out, I was very hyper vigilant and I would feel like things were happening that weren't, um, just from having PTSD and having seeing bad things and happening and all those things. And as a parent, you do, you hope that your kids don't ever experience that and that, um, you know, you do try to protect them, but also teaching them that, um, every situation can be bad, you know, and they need to learn to protect themselves and say something, you see something, you say something. And I think having those discussions with your kids and allowing my kids to see that if they say something, we can fix it. Or if they say something and we talk about it, that um, it feels better than bottling it up. Mm-hmm. I think that made a huge difference. Um, my oldest had struggled quite a bit because of the transition. And there were signs that I saw of her struggling but because it was so fresh that she was in my care, I wasn't sure if it was her acting out because me and her dad had separated or her being in my care or her being resistant because she had kind of been the mother for so long and not really been a sister to her little sister. I wasn't sure if she was being overprotective of her because she had felt something, saw something, or she just felt that was her place. So, um, you know, once I got created this foundation of trust where she realized she could talk to me um, and that if we let it out, it felt better. We realized that she also struggled with things that were not only some of them were hereditary, but some of them were created from feeling like she was left and that she was left to be the parent when she shouldn't have been. She had misplaced responsibilities. So I think she became hypervigilant of her little sister to make sure nothing bad happened to her. Mm-hmm. But for me, I've never really been a helicopter parent because I grew up in a house with so many children and I like watched my parents go through it. Yeah. I was the middle of the seven. So I watched the good, the bad and the ugly and then created all of those things as well. Um, yeah. You're definitely, definitely not a helicopter parent. Um, no, you're like a um, a free range parent, and I mean that in the most loving way. Oh no, for sure, <laughs> but, for sure. But, and I'm gonna let them like I'm the type of parent that I'm gonna let them get you know fall off and pick themselves back up before I run over to them to tell them not to cry about it. Yeah, but um, I I have been hyper vigilant going out in public when I first got out just because of traumas, and I didn't want. I would become overstimulated, which meant they became frustrated because they didn't know why we couldn't be in places very long or why we couldn't enjoy things that other people were enjoying. But I think as we've all learned to cope with each other, the kids know when it's just not, something is not going to work. Like maybe, you know, the time of day, it's going to be too hot and I'm going to get frustrated or same thing with my, my kids. You know, there's going to be times when my youngest, she gets overstimulated pretty quick um, and she can't be exposed to high temperatures and heat. So um, all of us learned to recognize the signs in each other where we knew that 
it was time to go or that we would all benefit from one or the other not being present in those events. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we've all made healthier relationships within the house and outside of the house because of the relationship we learned to mend as I got out and got divorced. Which is huge. I mean, yeah, like, no, it is being able to even communicate with your kids. Like I'm learning that, you know, as I jump into like parenthood with children that are grown, I mean, they're 11 and 14, almost 15, um, communication, right? Because I view things very differently. I like a very clean house. I like very organized. I like very whatever, their father, my husband, likes to just live his best life, you know, and, and, (laughs) and so learning that your kids, um, weren't trained in the military, I think like that sounds silly, but I think it's a very real thing that I've had to put in perspective because it's like, I'll be like, okay, go vacuum the living room, right? And I swear she vacuums like in circles and draws stars in the carpet and like there's no straight lines. <laughs> so there's there's sections that are missing and it stresses me out. And like that's oh it's so silly, right? And I, I recognize that now as silly. But I used to get frustrated and I'd want to be like, no, go back and do it again. And like her dad had to be like, I'm going to need you to get it together because this ain't it. You know, and I mean, I think the girls got frustrated with me because they were taught one way from having um, a clinically OCD father. Um, like he is OCD. And there were things he did. And I'm just like, that doesn't even make no dang sense. I don't even know why we do that. Um, like throw sponges away. Like we weren't allowed to use sponges. And I'm like, I don't really get it. Sponges are so gross. They're so gross. (laughs) Oh, Lord. Here we go. And so, um, and then, you know, I'm like, can we just use the sponge like twice? Like, are we allowed to even look at them? I don't really know how it works. (laughs) Um, So I think, you know, that was another thing. And then bringing in a um, step parent into their life, too, who, Weirdly enough, they operate like they were in the military. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so that's accurate. Um, I do not, uh, which which adds up. Um, I do not behave in such an OCD manner, <laughs> but they do. So it's like there are a lot of freshly made beds and mm-hmm. fresh sheets and yes. um, a I- lot of dishes get done. But um, <laughs> if it was up to me, them dishes would still be in the sink for you know at least another eight hours. But which is why uh, here we are. Like, I I guess you know because I think that's what makes us best friends is where you're like the yin to my yang. Um, <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> like, Five o'clock wake up, not my thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but like you come in and singing like a little I know soul bird. I love whistling, that. and I'm like, can I just snooze out for seven more hours? I love the early morning hours. My stepchildren, not so much, but. Um, I think that's what I struggle with as a step parent is, um, I, you know, I was 17 when I left for the military and so I was 27, my first 10 years of my adult life was regimented and rules. And this is how it has to be done because it has to be done that way. Even if it doesn't make sense. 
And so I find myself trying to deprogram myself with the help of therapy because, you know, I, I advocate for therapy all the time. Like I think everybody should be in therapy. Even if you feel like your life is together, I think everybody needs. Nobody's life is together. Yeah. Like there's (laughs) no way. That's true. Listen, the therapist tells me to run and that's like, (laughs) the only thing I'm running from is my problems, but (laughs) neither way. I think everybody needs an outlet. Yeah, that's true. Everybody. Yeah. And so you need an outside perspective. Yeah. And, and you know what? I talk openly about mental health with my stepkids. Like, they'll be like, oh, where are you going? And I'm like, oh, I got to go talk to my therapist. And they're like, okay, you weirdo. But that was in the beginning. Now they're like, oh, have fun. Go talk about your problems. You know, like, they know that that's a healthy alternative, which is something that I'm glad that I've brought to the table with them because I think mental health, which is another episode we could do, um... I think that that's important to talk openly about. No, absolutely. You know, I was 27 when I enlisted and in my upbringing, I was not really told about therapy or mental health or any of those things. And had I been exposed to that, it would have made the world of difference as an adult. But as I went into the service and I learned about it and I learned to, the most I ever took away from the military is resources. And everybody always says that, like, I still have people reach out to me and find resources and all these things. But um, I also married into somebody who is not an advocate at all. They do not believe in any type of therapy, um, medication. And, you know, I get it. The medication, you know, that's a whole nother topic. But I do think that everybody needs an outside perspective. And it's not just exercising or drinking water, changing your socks or putting on a bandaid. <laughs> yeah. I think that sometimes we do need another voice and another set of ears and those types of things. And we can't, we can't all be that person. You know, we need a professional. And so, um, you know, I did, I do recommend it for people. And I think it's a huge change when children go through changes, when adults go through changes and it does teach us to be resilient. And I know that coming home and being a full-time parent, I brought that to my kids and it's literally saved my 14 year old's life, my 15 year old, excuse me. Um, and it's made a huge difference in yeah. the way that she will turn into a healthy functioning adult. Well, and I don't think we important. give, well, yeah. And I don't think we give military kids enough credit for a life that they did not choose to live. Right. I think right, I think that sometimes they're just along for the ride and they don't know how to verbalize I don't want to move again. I don't want to, you know, leave these friends. I don't want to go to another school because they know how important it is to their parents who serve. Right. And similarly to military spouses, they don't choose that life you know and and jokingly we say like oh your spouse didn't come in your sea bag or your kids didn't come in your sea bag or whatever um but the reality is i think service member family member child veteran whoever it is like it's a whole family 
affected by military service. Right. And I think that, um, you know, I dare always say, and I'm pretty sure I refer to it in my last episode, that when it was my time to make the decision whether I was going to get out or re-enlist, um, I had always said that I would set myself up either way. So it was the reason I always attended college while I was enlisted. I always got my qualifications because I wanted there to be an option. I didn't want to ever feel like I had to re-enlist. And when it was, my time was up, I didn't decide until about November 2019 that in January 2020, I was going to start taking terminal leave. Um, I had kind of thrown out the idea that it was a possibility because it was something I didn't want to continue anymore, but I was also the breadwinner and the only one working in the house. So it was something I had really thought about. And I have always more times than not gone to my oldest, but um, in 2019, I did, I asked both of the kids, but my oldest more specifically, if it was something that she wanted me to do, did she want me to still be enlisted or, um, if she wanted to try life, me being out of the Navy and she didn't really remember life before I got in the Navy, but she remembered enough that she saw me more. Um, and she had brought that up. And at that time there were a lot of life changes already happening but both of them thought that life would be different, but that they wanted to experience me being out while they were both still in school. Mm-hmm. So I made the decision at the end of November 2019 that um, January 11th, 2020, I would take terminal leave and I would call it quits. And I've never once um, looked back and thought that I made a mistake. I've never once regret the decision I've made ever. Um, it's not easy, especially coming into a life of being a full-time parent and a single parent. And I can't even really say completely single parent because I do have another um, parent in the household or another parent figure for them in the household. But, um, you know, I had never lived on my own. I had never done so many things, but I wouldn't have changed it. I think it worked out. And And I think everything worked out that the best it could have possibly worked out yeah and and we should say like not everybody has the ability to like ask their kids you know like are you cool with this do you think we should whatever like that's not everybody's option so I don't want people to listen and be like oh must be nice you know because there's always one um right but it is important I think to as a member of the family, assess the situation for the family, right? If, right. If, if it is in the best interest of you and your family to stay in the military for however many years, right. then do it and live your best life and make it work for your family. But, you know, we just can't forget about the kids. Right. And I do want to say that, um, you know, the biggest thing that was said to me as I went to go get out um, was, are you sure this is what you want? Because you're over the hump. I was over the 10 years. So when I got out, I was in 10 years, eight months. Mm-hmm. Um, and I get that, uh, you, you do have to assess the family structure, not just for everybody, but also for yourself, where are you going to be at in eight years, eight years, nine years, 10 years mm-hmm. financially, where yeah. are you going to be in your career? What is your backup plan? But 
um, a lot of people don't have a backup plan, you know, and they go to get out and they're like, oh, I, I made a mistake because this was my life. And I get that. But for me, like I said, I set myself up either way. And if it's not something that's satisfying you or adding to your life at that time, make the decision to walk away and, and make adjustments or reenlist another time and then make sure that you reassess and prepare yourself for mm-hmm. being able to make the decision because that's an option too. You know, the first time I reenlisted, I also had to think of the same decision. And at that time, I feel like I was not prepared then, even though I said I had prepared myself, I knew that I couldn't financially afford to get out. Um, but I also said I would never not be able to make the decision again. And that's what I did. And so I think being over that hump, that 10 years should not be the determining factor of whether you should get out. Is it serving? Is it adding to your life? Is it serving you? Yeah. I mean, Um, because you want it to serve you. Yeah. And we have a mutual friend who's served almost 35 years. Right. And it, it is the best thing for their family, right? Is it difficult to leave their children? Of course. Is it, you right. know, hard on the family dynamic sometimes? Of course. But some people are made to do like 78 years right. in the military. and Right. And it's what they know and they're yeah. good at it. Yeah. And that's awesome. And they have a good family dynamic and they have right. what they need for their children. And, and that's right. And great. their family structure is well and is well-rounded to, to them serving. Mm-hmm. And so it's adding to their life. It's serving them. Yeah. But- for me at the time, it was not, it was no longer serving me regardless of whether I was at my hump or not. Yeah. And, and the reality of this podcast is we just want to bring awareness to the fact that not only as a veteran, are you struggling to find your way? And I, and I use the word struggling loosely because some people don't struggle as much as others, like your transition right, or they is, struggle in different yeah. areas, but sure. your children are also struggling. Right. No, they definitely are a large part of the transition, for sure. Regardless of whether you're not going for a divorce or not going to move, if even getting out of service is the only change you go through, they are every bit a part of that transition. Yeah, I mean, your your children learn, as if they live on base, like, especially if you're stationed overseas, they've right. learned that, you know, you stop when the national anthem is played and when colors is played and you know, and they have a different respect for people in the military. Now you take that child who maybe, you know, is 12, 13 years old and you get out of the military and you send them to a different school, not military related in a non-military town. And that's a mind game for your child. Right. You know, Michaela brought up the other day. um, So she's in high school. She's a sophomore. And they had played a song at school and I never really thought about it, but because I was deployed so much with her, they, so they do the pledge of allegiance here and then they do the Texas um, pledge. And so <laughs> I then know, they were, I didn't know. <laughs> listen, it's wild. I, I'm going to tell you right now, I'm a Californian. I don't even listen. I don't know what the Texas pledge is and I'm not about to learn it because regardless, I was still born in California and I'm a that's, Californian. That's wild. I like, I know Texas has some special things about them. Um, I did not. <laughs> Listen, they're wild out oh, here. I'm gonna they have do to not Google play. that. 
Yeah, okay. you're going to have to, we're going to say it on the next one. Um, yes, we should. So we should. they started um, playing also some type of, you know, America, the beautiful or something. I don't remember what she said they were playing, but she said that it just made her sad because um, where it wouldn't make some other people sad, it made her sad because she remembers that song being played. Um by kids who were like had lost their parents and or like coming home videos oh. that she would get shown in in her school um deployment groups because anytime I would deploy they would take her out and she would go to deployment groups with all the other kids who had deployed parents mm-hmm. so you know and those are things that are hard for her to adjust to as well because people don't understand like what are you crying for you cry baby but realistically she said that every time I left it, she felt like there was a chance that song would be played either for my homecoming or if I wasn't coming home. So um, the adjustments for the whole family, it really is. Yeah. Well, and I think you have to be mindful and know your resources and be prepared for the largest change happening in the family structure. Yeah, definitely. And, and you think about kids too, like, so, you know, regardless of anybody's political beliefs on the national anthem, believe what you want, whatever. Okay. I'm just going to say that ahead of time. The national anthem gives me the goosebumps. Anytime I'm at like a sporting event or anything, right? And I'm a crybaby girl. Let's be real. I'll be crying. Oh, yeah. Like a little tear. I get a little misty eyed. Sometimes I can't breathe so good. Probably because I'm fat too. (laughs) Somebody's cutting (laughs) onions. I don't know. But my stepkids, while they understand that the national anthem is important, they are sometimes bothered that they have to stand up or they don't get it or they don't understand. Like one of them one time was like, are you really crying? <laughs> and I was like, oh my God. And, and they don't mean to be disrespectful. So right. They're just like, they're like, they're like Kelsey, get your life together. Like, what are you right. doing? Um, but I think, that's another thing too, is like some of those songs, you know, like proud to be an American or, or whatever, like they're emotional for military kids because like you said, like they remember hearing that on base or they remember hearing it in their deployment group or, you know, they've seen enough sad TikToks or Facebook videos or whatever of, you know, service members who paid the ultimate sacrifice. Right. right. And so um, it's just different. It's different to that, think about it from one, a kid's perspective. The, uh, the other um, thing that Michaela brought up was how many um, change in social, social groups she experienced. You know, when she lived in Washington, up where she started um, elementary school at, and she went through a traumatic experience there of losing a friend to cancer. The young girl's whole life, she had cancer. And so when she was eight, almost nine, I think, she passed. And by then, we had already been restationed in California. And so Michaela said, you know, not only the changing in social settings, because she would go to so many schools, but then feeling like you always lost somebody either to moving or because somebody lost a parent, so they changed as a person. Mm-hmm. Um, people moved, we moved, 
And so she was constantly rotating out, for lack of a better description, I guess, mm-hmm. um, people she was surrounding herself with. And so her setting in life was just always changing, where here I had made the promise to her um, that she would be able to attend one school for four years. Mm-hmm. And so even deciding to uh, restructure life and move in with somebody and buy a house and all these things that all these changes that I had experienced, um, I had to adjust even relationships to live in the same area so she could be afforded the opportunity to feel like she was now stable and grounded mm-hmm. and that she had some place to call home that was permanent for her. And so when I moved here, I didn't move here blindly. I had come out here for many years because I had a cousin here and some other veteran friends who live in the neighborhood. I had decided to move to this area, but now I'm not sure I would have made this a permanent place, but I've made it permanent enough so she can finish high school here. And that was important to her. Um, There's always place in Wisconsin for you. I just want to let you know. Um, listen, so when the four you know years how much stuff up, they have. Listen, I Texas has some real good food. You have a lot, a lot to hold up to because, like, nothing gets better. Listen, than fried I don't cheese. even like fried cheese. I don't even like cheese curds, cheese stuff. <laughs> I like sliced block, like welfare cheese, like the <laughs> most oh, cheap, no. like cheese block you could possibly get, other than like singles American crafts, whatever they are. <laughs> I like that cheese and I barely even like that I have Tex-Mex out here I haven't found a good Indian place but let me tell you the the day I find a place that gives out delicious non and masala oh my goodness oh my goodness but but let's Um, let's refrain from talking about food at this point because it's almost lunchtime um yeah but but what (laughs) what else like what you said made me think about a comment I had heard from a military child once when they were older. So their um, parent had served, I don't know, their whole life, and they were like 16 years old, and they said, nobody ever thinks about the fact that as a kid when you send your parent on deployment, like you don't know if they're coming home. Right. So that's a lot for a kid. Like we are really – and and – those that are listening, please don't hear this as like, don't be a parent in the military. Cause that's not what I'm saying, but I just want us to recognize like these kids have been through the ringer. And right. so not only are we struggling with transitioning out, but, but our kids need to trust that we're home and we're staying home. And we're here for good. Right. Yes. Because unfortunately there are children who do not get to experience their parent coming home. Right. And they've paid the ultimate sacrifice. And I mean, look at, um, oh goodness. His name was Riley. He was one of the 13 killed in Afghanistan. His baby was born like a week later. Right. In San Diego. Yeah. And like, it's just to remember that these kids are also going through the transition with us. Right. So not only should we be kind to ourselves as veterans and, and recognize the struggles that we're facing and get mental health help. Talk to somebody who's been there. Reach out to another veteran. Find a friend. Like, not only should we be doing that, but we've got to check on our kids. Right. 
no, for sure. We, we get used to the see something, say something within the service, but we do. We Sometimes we don't realize what our kids have experienced or what they're thinking or what they're going through. Um, and sometimes it's too late. So, you know, I think that's a big thing is talking to our kids and recognizing what they're going through as well and recognizing the signs because they may not be the same as our shipmates or our brothers and sisters or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, that is a transition for everybody. Definitely. It's important. Definitely. Well, I think this was awesome. I feel like even if we, even if we did go off on some tangents, um, I do feel like if I was listening to this, I would have taken a lot away from it. Yeah, I think so. And you know, if people that are listening and they're like, man, can you guys talk about whatever? If there's a topic that as a veteran you're struggling with, or if you want to talk about a topic with us, we'd love to have you on. Like, let's talk about things. Let's talk about mental health. Let's talk about like, how do you do insurance as a veteran when oh like God. the military has done insurance for you for forever? Yeah, like right? how do you even go to a doctor? I had to experience that. <laughs> like, I mean, those are real things. And so I want to talk about them and I want to address them. And Noah's going to come back for a few episodes and like help us out from the dude's perspective because I think people might get sick of hearing our perspective all the time. But um, yeah, if you're listening and you have an idea of, you know, what you want to talk about or whatever, hit us up on social media. We're on TikTok, uh, Instagram, and Facebook at A Veterans Podcast or find us online at aveteranspodcast.com. Um, and remember Wisconsin Veterans Network is our sponsor. So if you are a veteran in Wisconsin in need of assistance, reach out to them and thanks for listening. Randy, you got anything else? Um, I don't think so. I don't, I think you got it. All right. Well, thanks for listening everybody and have a great day.